Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. three. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Uh, we are coming out of second preseason game was on Friday night. We're, we're talking here on Sunday, headed into Monday when you're going to be listening. Uh, I'm really psyched to be joined by the one and only Caitlin Cooper from also over in the corners as well. She wrote a fantastic article that came out this morning uh, talking about some of the offensive principles, the way that the modest bonus is and isn't being used. And we'll hit on that today. But um, before we dive in, Caitlin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, we didn't go to fan jam, so I feel like it's only appropriate that we sit here and, and take this time to talk about the Pacers for the fans. So did you want to go to fan jam though? I mean, <laughs> yeah. no comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've always enjoyed fake basketball the most. That's what's my favorite. Um, well, well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Exactly. So that's yeah. good. Another quick question. Um, and this will kind of flow into to where we're starting. Uh, obviously, you know, Pacers won 109 to 100 against the Cleveland Cavaliers on Friday. Defense looked a lot better. There's a lot we can take away from it. But first question I have for you is, how are you feeling about the Tory Craig ball handler experiment? Are you enjoying um, think, the experience? I'm not really enjoying it. I, I think that what I'm seeing a lot on the court is, is somewhat of a mixture of feelings. Like some of what's happening, mm-hmm. I can tell is very much deliberate and others. I think it's people getting pressed into roles that they probably wouldn't have obviously if TJ Warren and Karis and then Justin ends up rolling his ankle. Like if all these people are healthy, I don't know that we'd necessarily be seeing that, yeah. but at the same time, you can tell that the system is very much geared around allowing, you know, it's more egalitarian and it's everybody, you know, dribble, pass, and shoot, and whether everybody can dribble, pass, and shoot is somewhat of another question at this point in time. Like, I like the overall system, and I like the options they're getting out of it. It's just what spots certain people are getting in, which is what I wrote in the article today. Like, you could see possessions that I clipped where it's like, you know, do we really want Justin Holiday having to do a self-created three? Do we really want TJ McConnell coming off a screen, the screener set in the corner for what's going to be an open three-point attempt when he could be the inbounder and and Duarte could be shooting you know do we really want O'Shea Brissett or even Miles in certain cases or Goga running offense up top while Sabonis is watching it when you have one of the best DHO operators in the NBA on your roster like I get why they're doing it when when you're interchangeable and you can have people doing different roles it makes it less predictable and it also lets them get into their offense quicker like you can tell whoever the first big back is usually spaces to the corner so if the other big gets the rebound and outlets it they're going to be the trailer and they're running so much in delay with you know the the big's going to get the ball and as the trailer and then go into these dribble handoffs to put motion into the pick and rolls and what they're doing but some of those have been fairly clunky and it kind of makes me ask like, you know, is it necessary to shave off those couple seconds when you could take a, you know, put people better in the spots that they would be successful in? Cause there's even a couple spots in that game where they're running a lot of action out of the high post. I mean, it's essentially the same with Sabonis. You're just shifting the post from the, from the block to the elbow and then running the split action up above it with various variations. And on the one possession, 
it's Jeremy and Brogdon running split action with McConnell in the weak side corner. While Sabonis passes it back door to Jeremy Lamb, he gets stopped on way of the basket, dishes it out the corner, and now you're you're expecting TJ McConnell to shoot a three. And it doesn't have to do with like McConnell's weaknesses. Like he can certainly play in the system. Just make him one of the split cutters and put Jeremy in the corner. And I think, you know, in part, maybe they're evaluating all these different roles so that they can see exactly what people can and can't do and then hopefully put them into different spots. But some of what I'm seeing feels a little bit questionable like what you're indicating like that possession where where tj mcconnell ended up being the person catching the ball on the inbound or off the screen or screener he passes out of that three-point attempt and then it is it's tory craig ball handler into a pull-up too like i don't i don't really think that's what outcome you want out of that possession so i don't know what your thoughts are yeah um i have a lot of takes off that number one speaking on justin holiday on that that pull-up three one of the uh funniest things that I saw and really lets me know that the NBA season is back. I saw somebody clip that because uh, Kevin Love was the guy who defended it. And they're like, oh, look, Kevin Love is a new man this year. He's out defending on the perimeter. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you. Justin Holiday cannot dribble from a standstill on the perimeter. So I, I promise this is, you know, maybe Kevin's a little bit lighter and he's he's invigorated for the season, but that, that it's not quite what you think it is. Um, in terms of everything else, like you've mentioned with um, – just in general, like it feels like uh, trying to do like a like you mentioned egalitarian, but also trying to have uh, kind of role interchangeability. And they've talked about that a little bit in in media availability. Um, and it just like I, I don't know, like you're mentioning, it's preseason. So we don't want to read too much into it. But also you and I like reading a lot into everything as much as we can. So like what I take away from this, I just kind of wonder like how much of this is is what they're going to be doing in the regular season. And I, I, I have questions about that because. Um, well, there have been some positives, like at, at the end of the day, these guys, I don't want to say that these guys are who, who they are. Like, that's the wrong way of putting it. There's obviously guys who are going to make developments, improvements, guys can improve on things, but like, I don't know. Sometimes there, there's just, a, you're not going to be awesome at running DHOs or good enough at a level, at a level to do it in a, in a professional setting in the NBA. And I just, that's kind of where it comes into for me. Like I know Tory Craig was, uh, a master pick and roll operator when he was at South Carolina state, but like, yeah, this is not South Carolina state. This is the Indiana Pacers. And um, so I'm just interested to see how that stuff plays out. And especially with Sabonis too, like we've, we've talked about this. You, you did a really good job talking about in your article. And I think there are some real values to maybe trying to get him off the ball more um, or not more, but like getting him opportunities off ball would be the better way to put it. Like, especially that, that clip you threw in about drawing Der Jared Allen out of the paint. Like that was valuable. You saw how that impacted the possession. Um, but then you go and see when he's stashed in the weak corner and um, you know, he's just completely left alone. Like, yeah, if he ends up hitting that three, that's great. But also it just, you're not bending a defense in the way that you could, if you're actually utilizing don't loss. So it's, it's a lot of things that are coming up like that. Like I want to see more answers to it and how it's going to play out, but a little bit of head scratching so far. Um, to be fair. Uh, and it's another thing that you hit on as well. That was interesting. Like the pace has really stood out like, and it's not even about the team necessarily like having like the highest pace in the NBA or no. anything, but like, it's more like how quickly the, they're the getting quick, into yeah, it. The quickness that they're getting into their sets has been something that you can tell is clearly emphasized. Um, but again, it's like, okay, well, in some ways, maybe it's a little bit better to be methodical and, and find things, but I, I'm just really intrigued to like, I would love to sit down with Rick Carlisle and ask, like what what is the process here like i want to understand where you're coming from and, and what what the ideology is here but 
um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of lockstep with you and how we've, we've seen the offense so far. Right. Cause I mean, two, two takeaways there. Cause that one that you pointed out is, was like my main point that, yeah, there's definitely certain spots where you can tell like, Hey, there's going to be value to putting Sabonis in the corner. When you put a big in the strong side or the O five in the strong side, it's very hard for people to roam off of that. And then especially in the minutes when he's playing with Isaiah Jackson, that gives you the role threat and you're able to pick on, you know, if Brogdon's then in the weak side corner and sometimes they're using him even to run baseline and come off behind a corner pin in, then you're really attacking that tagger in a good way. And Sabonis hit a corner three and another three on Friday. So, I mean, that's a piece of this is that, you know, maybe, you know, some of the painful moments that we see here in preseason or that we see last year where he didn't shoot the ball great or where, you know, Miles isn't the best screener or isn't great at running DHOs. Maybe each of them gets better at that because they are forcing him in those different spots. And then the interchangeability does pay off. But in certain respects, like the weak side possession, you have three people dotting over there on the weak side and you're running two man game with Duarte and Miles. And it just, it leads me to ask like, you know, why? Because Miles doesn't do the rescreen, the automatic rescreen that they've been doing on DHOs to, to counter the under. So Duarte has to pass out of it. Like, yeah, you got into it quicker by having Sabonis automatically run to the corner, but now you're like dinking around mid possession, having to pass the ball around to get to your next thing when you could have just had Sabonis run two man game and used miles in the opposite corner. And that doesn't mean that I'm saying to marginalize miles Turner at all. Like the way that the ball is moving in the system, he's still going to be getting touches. Like even, I mean, this might be too nerdy or technical to explain on a podcast, but when you watch them running the various bigs running the DHOs, they're very different purposes and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like when Sabonis has it, they're going to flow into the pin down for the guard to then receive the handoff from him. So basically Chicago action, and that's for the guard to get a paint touch and be able to spray out. That's him helping facilitate downhill movement because right now they pretty much have Brogdon who can do that. So if you're throwing it to Justin or Jeremy Lamb or whoever, that's for them to get into the paint because there's still going to be a player there in the weak side corner to tag. Like he's probably not going to get anything on the roll there. Likewise, they're having him use those like fake handoffs that's a good way to distract attention and then hit, hit a shooter coming from left to right for a three when it's miles, they're using like a Euro ball screen, which is a 45 cut leading into the handoff that's clearing the weak side out. So there's a much better chance that he's going to be getting a scoring touch on the roll there. And it's, it's him only having to make one pass versus, you know, changing side to side mm. or being able to use sleight of hand or whatever it is. And even in a few of those instances, like, stuff on the catch and the way he's navigating it hasn't been super clean. But like I said, like maybe you're, you're emphasizing the three pointers for Sabonis at practice. Maybe the more miles gets reps with this, maybe they grow into it. But a lot of times I'm just left feeling, but you know, what if miles was the cutter on that 45 cut Sabonis can keep his eyes up when he's running the DHO and he'd probably see him. And then you're getting a basket paint touch for miles. Like, you know, in those those certain circumstances, it feels like it could be optimized a little bit more. But, you know, they are getting into stuff quickly. In addition to the handoffs, they'll use the bigs to screen away out of basically like widespread. And then the guard comes off of it for a dribble attack. So, I mean, it's interesting to watch. I don't know if we, we can kind of just flow into the next talking point here because it kind of blends in that like when you watch the rotation, I thought especially in the third quarter, like while it is more egalitarian, they buddied all of Brogdon's minutes with Sabonis's on Friday, which was a departure from the prior game. 
And I thought they started the third quarter defensively really strong. I thought that they made, which we'll get into that later. I thought Miles made a really good audible on one of the plays that, um, but then they take Miles and Sabonis out together at the six minute mark, which that's another talking point too. But Mm -hmm. they play with this, the bench unit, which I believe was, let me see here, McConnell, Duarte, Craig, Turner and O'Shea and like that group had so many problems like running and getting into the stuff that it lasted two minutes and then they put Brogdon and Sabonis right back in and played the rest of the quarter so in part that kind of speaks to it seems like they definitely wanted to have a lead and feel like you know they quote unquote won the game because they were willing to play them that many minutes in the third Mm -hmm. and already come back with them but I mean it's kind of like what we said before, like, is everybody going to be able to do all these things? Like, I think that you could still probably run that bench group, but like let McConnell definitely be the lead ball handler and be probing and playmaking for, you know, miles and, and Craig and O'Shea. Like it just, some of those bench groups felt very clunky to me, but you know, again, people are playing out a role. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting too. Cause it feels like, uh, like, I mean, and this is just my guess. My it, it feels like we would see a lot of Harris and Miles together. Like, at least that's my presumption, you know, given yeah. that, that Malcolm and, and Domas are playing lots together. And I think that makes sense in some ways. Like, you get Karis going downhill and try and get Miles involved more in pick and pop and just, you know, or just in rolling to the rim, like giving Karis an outlet as he's getting downhill because he does have that interior passing ability. So you wonder, okay, well, maybe that's what you're seeing. But I also think, like, okay, well, maybe we would see that more with um, just in general with the bench. But like you're mentioning too, uh, I don't know exactly how to phrase it. Like it seems kind of like I don't want to say that TJ McConnell has been used the same way as, as Domas because that would be untrue. But like in some ways, it's felt like uh, you know a lot of what I felt like a lot of would make the the bench successful last year is TJ being able to get everyone going and and, and spread the ball. Um, and it just hasn't quite felt the same. Like, I know it's not, again, not completely on him, different, different guys in the lineup. You have new players who weren't on the team last year. Um, so it looks different, but how have you felt about how TJ has been utilized with the bench? Right. So, I mean, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, while I went on my long talking spree, like there's just certain spots where it's like, okay, that's a pretty easy fix. Like it's a dead ball just let McConnell inbound it to Duarte, like, or like on the split action, just let him be involved at the top with the ball and and be the cutter and spray it out to Jeremy. Like, you know, cause what you're saying is true. Like I, the, and to Bjorkren's credit, that offense fit TJ McConnell, like a glove because it allowed him It allowed, they ran so much of that little mini weave on the sideline that he attacked baseline all the time. And he's so good at attacking baseline when someone like miles crashes from the 45 or whatever, and finding that person or really toying with the big under the basket to be able to turn and make his little, you know, jump shot slash floater or to find whoever he's playing with. So it hasn't felt like he's necessarily had as much space to toy and handle with the ball. And in part, that's because, you know, why I said over the summer, like you can tell this system is very much team ball from the guard spots, Mm. but I still think he can play within it. Like for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. It's just the question of like, you know, if you're, and again, you're coming up the floor in transition. This was in the first quarter of play that I had where they advanced the ball to TJ or to Torrey Craig. He He's dribbling it up and then he passes it to Miles as the trailer and Miles hands it off to Justin for that self-created three. And meanwhile, TJ's in the opposite corner the entire time. Like it doesn't seem like that has a lot of 
like that's not a very high value possession to me. Like it, it mm-hmm. seems like again, like would it be so bad if you took time at the front end of that possession to inbound it to or to advance it to TJ so that he can bring the ball up? I, I don't know. But I feel like the bench overall would flow a little bit better. It seems like they're having a little bit of trouble building chemistry, which again, like when people just keep getting injured and you're having to maneuver people around, but it also seems like they're just looking for combinations. Like Isaiah played at the four a little bit with all three bigs in that game to see, you know, how that was meshing. So um, I I, I think that, I mean, and obviously they're paying TJ 8.5 million (laughs) to play backup point guard. Cause like somebody on Twitter mentioned that they were like, Oh, well, he should just be the third string point guard. He can't shoot. Like, well, I don't think that you have like, and that's a whole nother thing. Like, I don't think you have to be able to shoot necessarily in a lot of these spots because they're using, like, I can tell they're going to be using corner pinnings and stuff. So even if your defender helps off some there, that person can step in and you can bring another guard along the opposite side. So, um, I think he needs more reps, but I don't think it's so far what I've seen hasn't sat quite as well on him as I would say what, um, Bjorker and stuff did yeah yeah and again like part of it's just preseason but also like how many how many nights do you think it would take for tj mcconnell to take four threes a game for the defense to care that he's taking four threes a game oh of very very many because here's the thing the difference being is like not only would he have to make some or whatever like reputationally that's a part of it but his release is still very slow so it's very easy for people to help off of him because they know they're going to be able to get back like that's just going to be his reality because I don't think that's going to radically change. Yeah, exactly. I'm in the same boat. Um, so I'm again, interested to see how that plays out. Um, we hit on it a little bit, but going in and talking about the defensive improvement, uh, the defense was a lot better uh, in this game. And I, I, I don't want to say it was all chalked up to miles, but I thought miles was fantastic defensively. Um, he honestly, like we, we hit it on it a little bit. I can't remember if this was before we got on or oh yeah, it was before we got on and talking about, you know, how um, the Cavs are running a lot of high post stuff at the elbows um, and or out on the perimeter too, just doing quick touch passes between the five and um, whether it's Sexton or Garland getting downhill just to use their speed to get downhill at the rim. But both of them shot below 30% from the field, uh, largely because of how, how impactful miles was at the rim um, and Isaiah Jackson as well, who we'll talk about, but um, what stood out to you the most defensively and in, in, in how things improved uh, in this game compared to the game against the Knicks? Well, number one, I could tell a little bit more what the goal was. Like mm-hmm. I could tell what their coverages were going to be more. So in the first game, I was a little bit confused about like, is that what you always intend to do? Or was that a read or was that just like a mistake or, you know, how their transition defense looked as well. But it, for miles, it wasn't even so much out at the rim. I thought with Colin Sexton, he was really good and baiting him and, and yeah, impacting the ball was as awesome. he was dribbling to throw Sexton off of rhythm. I thought he was good in that space better than last season because they mm-hmm. kind of got ethered by him in the, you know, little floater range. And he, he did a better job covering that up. But I mean, even to Brogdon's credit, and I think Rick Carlisle touched on this in the postgame presser that um, in the third quarter, he was pretty good shooing those guys out of their spots while he was on ball, or at least better than what we've grown accustomed to seeing. Like, I thought he kind of set the tone in that regard, too. I mean, I saw improvement from several people. Like, I mean, obviously, we can we'll get into Isaiah Jackson later, but they're having the four man hedge on a lot of the side pick and roll stuff. And in the past, like Sabonis in general moves better as a dropper than he does a shuffler in many cases. 
So sometimes when he would get asked to do that, it was somewhat dicey, but like right at the beginning, the very first possession of the game, they have a side pick and roll and he hedges with Duarte and steals it and then got a, a dunk or a layup or whatever at the other end in transition. And then there were other possessions where he hedged where I thought that his hip flexibility was better than what we've seen. So I don't know if that's something we he, he's worked on, but I mean, I thought that overall in both games, really, because I thought he had good possessions against Julius Randle, that by his own standard of himself, he's looked better in guarding position than what certainly was the case at the end of last year. He's had some decent straight ups. He's even altered a couple shots at the basket. Mm-hmm. So that's um, something too. But the one thing I do want to bring out, I do want to give a shout out to miles. Cause I thought this was pretty good. There was one possession in the third quarter where they were having a little bit of problems guarding the pick and pop. I think that they were just like, kind of giving that up to those shooters in a sense like they were closing out but like they weren't switching them so to speak so on the one he called an audible with Darius Garland and basically told TJ McConnell to peel back to Kevin Love and then was gonna be stuck with Darius Garland on an island and he got pretty low in a stance and then he didn't really have to guard him because Kevin Love dived down behind him um, to post TJ McConnell and then Sabonis rotated over to scram him out so I thought that entire sequence was like that was definitely a read on all of their parts with miles yeah. yelling it out because that's, they weren't doing a lot of switching on the pick and pop or in, in pick and rolls in general that involved the five man, unless it was like guard to guard. So um, I thought that was a good sign that they were able to communicate all that and have the rotations. Right. And then Kevin love just ended up like shooting an air ball, I think. So right at the end of the clock. So that was one that I thought like, Hey, things are shaping up and all of this, like for the most part, like, it's pretty vanilla, but I'm happy to watch vanilla. Like even last night when I was going through all this to prepare for the podcast, I was like, there have not been any possessions where I've asked myself, what type of defense are the Pacers playing? Like that was such a common refrain after games last year that I was like watching it over and over again. Like, are they in two, three? Does half the team think that they're in two, three and the other half thinks they're in something else. And like most of the time, especially like things were much more settled in this game than against the Knicks. And I could at least tell like what the goals were, even if the execution wasn't as good as that particular possession every, every um, time. Yeah, no, I agree. Like just, you can tell the team feels more comfortable and a, like they just seem to have a good grasp of what they're doing, which you just never quite felt last year. Um, and it's, it's a little damning to say two games into preseason that you already have like a little bit more of that than you did the year prior. Um, but yeah, I, I've really liked how they're handling ball screens. It feels a lot more comfortable. And like you mentioned with Sabonis, like um, when he came out on that hedge, uh, like it felt like, I mean, Colin Sexton looked like a deer in headlights. And part of that is like Colin Sexton's awareness is a little uh, awesome for a lead ball handler, still fantastic player, but like, um, like I agree we were talking about this a little before pod like I just think Sabonis looks a little bit quicker like you think even with just the um the hip flexibility like like you mentioned I like and like you said too I don't mean to just completely piggyback off what you said but like um he's had some really solid moments contesting at the rim too like I don't remember who he had a block on I don't even I don't even I don't think it was in this game but he had a block in the first game against the Knicks I think it might have been on Kemba I can't remember off the top of my head but he's just been better positionally obviously still not miles but it's just been imagine that putting putting a a 611 uh center in in better positions around the rim is is good for your defense and good for him 
I, yeah, I, mean, I could not have anticipated that happening whatsoever. No, no, but. I couldn't either. Shrinking the radius being beneficial. Who could have, who could have thought, but I mean, part of the product too, on that hedging is that Duarte was guarding it. And there were times last year where the big would step up to hedge. And once they do you as the on ball defender have to force that person over the screen or else the big is going to be completely out of position. And there was so many times last year where if they tried to execute that coverage, Brogdon or whoever it was would give up a screen rejection and then Sabonis would just be left on the empty side. And I think a lot of times the tendency is to be like, oh, what is Miles or Sabonis or Goga doing? And it's like, no, that's the on-ball defender's responsibility. They have Mm -hmm. to send it there. So that's some of the upgrades they've made on the perimeter as well. Like Duarte did a very good job of sending Sexton into that coverage so that he would, you know, be cut off there. And Ijax did the same thing. Ijax like freaking put a cork on the one pick and roll. That possession was awesome. Yeah, that is a great transition because Isaiah Jackson, like we just have to talk about him. Uh, he's been, uh, he's definitely been surprising and in a good way. Like we we saw what he was doing in summer league. I think both of us were a little bit uh, taken aback would be the wrong way to put it, but we were just kind of surprised to hear how um, high the team seemed to be on him coming into the year, and uh, he's. I mean, it feels like he pretty clearly has a rotation spot over O'Shea Brissett at the moment. Uh, and again, that could just be preseason, but just gauging minutes and the way that things have played out, it seems like that kind of tracks. Um, what has been most impressive to you other than, I mean, we can talk about the defensive mobility too, because that was, it's been ridiculous to watch. Um, and like that moment you talked about on corking it, like just it, it switches out on the perimeter, handles his own, recovers and gets a, a block at the rim. Like he's just been he's he's definitely the most athletic player on the team now right and and the the that also took smarts like it wasn't even just his athleticism because he knew that the clock was running out so it was safe for him to abandon his man to cover that up and i mean that's a piece of this because they're pairing a lot of his like he did play a little bit with miles there and i forget which it was at the end of the second or if it was the third i think it was partially through the second but they're pairing ijax mainly with Sabonis and like that's a piece of it that you have a four out there who can provide weak side rim protection and and cover for some of what Sabonis does while also like what I said before like why they were putting Sabonis in the strong side quarter on those possessions you can then put Ijax in the high post and you're not really being encumbered by either of you know their shooting when they're being utilized in those ways because with Ijax with his back to the basket like you're using the split action and then Jared Allen's most likely going to stay home at Sabonis in a strong side situation. But I also thought offensively, um, and I don't want to insult him with this, but it's just for any rookie, it's, it can be hard to grasp onto new NBA plays and to be looking like you're in the right spot at the right moment. And especially since he's only 19 years old and there was one play in the fourth quarter that was pretty tedious and what they were running. That was a flex. It was like pistol into a flex action. And then they swing it and he came off the flex cut, like how they were using Sabonis off the flex cuts as well. And instead of him getting a touch and coming off the flex, he immediately spins into a screen and Goga drops down as well. That allows them to run like a baseline stagger with Jeremy in the opposite direction. So for him to be executing all of those different moving parts, I thought spoke pretty well of his ability to like what you said, it looks at this point, like it's so it's like stunning to me because we were midway through the summer and like Chad Buchanan even mentioned, and he mentioned in that Q and a with Scott Agnes that they kind of envisioned that he might play with the mad ants, but um, minus some of his like screening technique and some of the awkwardness with a few of the DHOs, like he looks, he looks ready to play to me from these two games. I don't know how you feel. 
No, yeah, I would agree. Um, especially just like even uh, the, first of all, I mean, the dunking and lobs, like he's had one or two lobs already in preseason, um, which I'm just it's every time every time you see it, like every time it happened in summer league and every time you've seen it in preseason, you're like, whoa, I haven't <laughs> seen one of those in forever. This is different. <laughs> um, so that's been cool. But yeah, it I just I, I don't want to say I feel dumb, but like it just kind of speaks to uh how different NBA contests can look for guys. Like I did not see this at all at Kentucky, frankly. Like I thought he was somebody coming in who would make a lot of sense in a couple of years and could be a four. Cause you could see the feel already at Kentucky, but like, I think just the level in which he sees the court, I, you didn't quite get to see it at Kentucky because of how little he touched the ball. And like, that's just, what's been so impressive to me. Like his court mapping and just awareness overall is, um, at a level that I just wasn't really prepared for coming in, um, frankly. And it's been just awesome to watch. Um, and it, it changes, it changes things up 100%. Um, and I, I mean, I guess one last thing I do want to ask in regards to that, um, what do you, I mean, how have you felt about like, I mean, right. I honestly think rightfully he's been getting these rotation minutes, but how do you feel about how that shakes things out with with O'Shea a little bit? Because we've we've talked about Goga quite a bit, but we hadn't mentioned O'Shea as much on the last pod. Right. I mean, and they did, like I said, they said a lot of glowing things about him at practice last mm-hmm. week with O'Shea. And he hasn't shot the ball great in these two games. He did make one really fluid one. I still think yeah, his shot's good. His I still think his shot's gonna be there. It may not be yeah. at the above 40% clip that he was magically, you know hitting it at, at the back end of last season. But I mean, they still might be evaluating certain things. I mean, Ajax played in the first half and I don't remember at what point O'Shea did come in, but it feels like they're trying to pair the smaller four and the solo miles minutes. So like he'll be out there with Torrey Craig at the four, or then in the second half, it was O'Shea at the four with miles and the, the bit with, with Isaiah was smaller. So I mean, there's a chance he still might fit in there. And certainly he's valuable to you if you have injuries that have somebody that's, you know, a higher caliber um, plug-in guy that can play the, I mean, they just, it's just, that's another stunning contrast to last season because it's like, we're sitting here having a conversation about which guy they can plug at like, you know, pseudo or, or mobile four when they just didn't <laughs> even really have that yeah. as any type of option last year. So it's definitely a good problem to have, I think, but um, I guess it's just going to depend on what they need on what given night, because I mean, certainly like Isaiah took a couple corner threes last night and sometimes yeah, like the air ball, which was a little right. rough but like, it's a right. in progress. like when he can stand still or come off of like step back behind a corner pin in, he's okay. But like to be shooting off of like, you know, side steps and train, like taking a sliding along the three point line and transition to finding an opening or some of the other stuff, like he's not going to do that the way that O'Shea can. So it probably depends on what you're valuing in a given matchup. You might lean one way or the other in certain games, but, um, yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like Isaiah is getting the, the hat tip so far. Yeah, most definitely. Um, well, Caitlin, do you have anything else you want to hit on out of this game or just things in general? I really don't, other than just, you know, the entire Goga situation, as you yeah. already wrote a lengthy piece on. I mean, because, I mean, that's somewhat of a piece. It kind of feels like you want to start the free Goga movement because I don't really know where – necessarily his playing time is going to come, but you know, it seems right now that a lot of Isaiah's playing time is going to come 
at the four. And then I would, I would kind of like to know, like just from their internal thinking, cause I know they've said publicly that they think he can play some four, like, is that what they envision him being long-term? Cause it kind of reminds me of Miles's rookie season. I think it was his rookie season when he ended up playing some four mm-hmm. with Jan Mahinmi. And like at the beginning, I, I don't remember if he had like a hand injury that year or what it was, but miles originally was coming off the bench at the five. And then they had so much awkwardness with like, okay, we're starting CJ miles at the four and this is kind of too small. And now we're starting Lavoy Allen. And this is just like, to be fair, like just kind of ridiculous with Jan Mahinmi. So miles was the natural choice to be bumped up into the starting lineup and kind of find the happy middle of what he offered because of his shooting and other things. Mm -hmm. But then that was always kind of a talking point of, you know, is this good for his development if they ultimately see him playing center? And now, as it turns out, they ended up trading for Sabonis and he has continued to play some four, but I would like to know what they think. Like, do they see him as a guy who in spots, like, you know, as Bam does in Miami, there's times where Bam, they've played him with like a bigger five. And there's times where obviously he's just playing the five, like what was the case in the playoff series against the Pacers and for most of last year, like what they really see Isaiah doing and and what reps will kind of serve him best. But the one aspect of that is because of the interchangeability, you know, he probably will still get touches in like the high post actions they're doing as well as some of the off ball stuff, because that's what they're doing with Sabonis and miles. So. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, number one, I hope like they, everything I said is that they view him as a four and I hope that's what they think. Um, because if they view him as a, if, if they were like, well, yeah, he's probably gonna be a five for right now. I'd be like, okay, well then trade Goga. Um, and I honestly think, you know, I, in writing that piece, I, I went as far as, is going without saying that because it is still preseason. So you want to see how things shape out in the regular season, but I definitely am on that train um, to be honest. Like I'll put that out there. Like I just, um, I think it's just kind of a a mistake. And like I, like I said in the article, it's not all on the front office and it's, it's not all on the coaching staff and it's not all on Goga too. Like it's, 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 it's a combination of all three. It's a combination of, I mean, this is Goga's third head coach in three years. Um, third new system things just have not gone right for him off the court in in terms of keeping him on the court and you know with health and just having having personal issues that kept him out of Vegas and and having the visa issues his first year like having COVID like it is not an easy circumstance for a young player to to grow up but also like I just think we've seen enough where we know okay he needs NBA minutes like he is too good to play in the G League he can't just not play in the NBA and if you're sitting him on the bench and he's not playing with the idea of like, well, well, maybe he's our backup big if one of our biggest gets injured. And I'm like, okay, but you you need him to get consistent minutes. Like it's not even about being a starter. It's just about like he has to play a consistent role in rotation and not know he's going to get pulled because he makes one mistake. Like there has to be some kind of leeway with, with him. And it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And um, frankly, I think letting him just sit on the bench and, and do nothing would be a mistake by the organization. Um, and I'm interested to see how it plays out because, uh, you know, like this team has, has been uh, good at masking their moves. It feels like, well, okay, I shouldn't say good at masking their moves. Um, they've been good at masking the moves that happen um, would be a good way to put it. But I don't know. Do, do you have anything uh, that kind of runs counter to that or, or similarly? Yeah. I mean, it just, it, I mean, it's like what we said on the last podcast, kind of a situation where I watch it and it's like, you know, what are we doing here? It feels like you have 
four bigs who are all talented in different ways and at varying degrees, obviously, you know, I'm not going to put Goga on the same plane as Sabonis and Miles, but um, that it's, it's very hard to optimize all of them at the same time. And we're Mm -hmm. even still continuing to see that with the two starters. So you just want to see them all be in situations where they're going to be able to be actualized as best as possible. And it should be interesting to see what they do with his option here at the end of the month. But um, yeah, it's like, if I don't know that you need that many bigs, especially in this system. If, if you're not, if you already think Isaiah Jackson's going to be playing ahead of him or if like, cause I mean, like I said, there's been game in the one game against New York, he played with Sabonis and then they brought in O'Shea and he bumped down to the five, which leads me to believe that if Turner or Sabonis would hurt, were hurt that, the potential is there that they would just play Isaiah Jackson at the five. I don't know that for sure, but like clearly they weren't completely opposed to seeing him play minutes at the five. So it's just not ideal for anyone involved. And what you said is a good point too, because when he was in the Euro league, his team his the two teams he played for, like they played a lot of zone and the one team, like in the games I watched, they were switching everything. Like he was even switching onto ones, which wasn't going to work against NBA level speed anyways. But point being is then he comes to Nate McMillan and it doesn't like the drop coverage wasn't really coming to him very quickly. And, you know, rightfully so he's extremely young. It's his first year in the NBA. He wasn't playing regularly. Then there's a radical change in defensive system under Bjorkren last year while his playing time is still sporadic. And now you're going into a completely different defensive system. And while he does rack up a lot of blocks, you're still seeing moments even in these two games where he's just not in the right spot. And it's like, that's just never been the best learning environment for a rookie to come into. Like really, if you wrote down all the things that would be uh, counterproductive to development, he's pretty much hit them all. Like going to a team where there's no playing time, going to a team where you're having to constantly learn different systems that you never have any development minutes in, in summer league at all. Like the G league wasn't even a thing last year, even if they wanted to assign him there. Like, I mean, it was, but you know what I mean for a very limited time period. And they've never really felt like they could, because if one of the two bigs gets hurt during a game, they need him. Like, so and then even and when those things happen, then they would play Jakar Sampson. So, um, yeah, I kind of feel like it's time to, you know, start the free Goga movement and, and, and let him go flourish somewhere else, potentially. If, 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 especially if they're not going to be – I mean, it would be different if they're going to move one of these two starting bigs and he was getting regular playing time in some way, shape, or form, and we were seeing it, and I was like, oh, the improvement's there, but it's like it just doesn't seem like that type of a trade is happening right now. So, mm. yeah. anyways, yeah, I've no, blabbed exactly. on about Goga long enough. But. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Uh, well, Caitlin, this has been great. I always appreciate talking and getting to bounce ideas off you. Uh, to everyone listening, of course, thank you for listening. Again, if you have not already, go read Caitlin's article. It was really great. Uh I hope you are having a wonderful Sunday night because I'm probably going to put this out tonight. Uh, Good Monday morning if you're listening tomorrow or, or whatever time of day you're listening. Hope you're enjoying your day. And most importantly, thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your day.